Welcome to the Chasing Passion Podcast. My name is Dom and I'm your host. Each week, I bring on a passionate person to help you discover your own passion in life and how to begin pursuing it. Thanks for spending some time with me today and let the episode begin. This week's guest is Gary McGowan, otherwise known as Skinny Gaz. Gary is a trainer, a physiotherapist, a medical student and a co-owner of Triage Method, which provides science-based training and nutrition coaching to its clients. He's one of the most knowledgeable and passionate people that I know when it comes to personal training, and that is for sure. So if you're ever stuck for information in regards to personal training, fitness, nutrition, or life in general, I would highly recommend following Gary on Instagram, which you can do so by typing in skinny gaz into Instagram. So that is skinny gaz. You can find more information about Gary and his coaching business on triagemethod.com. In this episode, we talk about Gary's definition of optimal health, maximizing your time in the gym, habits and routines, along with many different other topics. And without further ado, let's get right into the episode. Gary, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, John. It's my pleasure to be here. Thank you so much. So I guess the first question I want to ask you is your background and who you are, like what do you do? So for the people who don't know who Gary is, for the people who don't know who Skinny Guy is, Skinny Gaz is, could you just explain who you are um, Yeah, and what do you do? No problem. So my name is Gary McGowan and I am from the wonderful land of Killarney, County Kerry um, in Ireland. So, so yeah, that's where I was born and raised. I'm currently living in Cork, so I'm studying here in University College Cork, so I'm studying in. I just finished up in in the University of Limerick. Um, in May, I was studying physiotherapy. So student, you know, like was a student, still am a student, but also I'm the co-owner of Triage Method. Um, and we're an online health and fitness company um, with the overall aim to help individuals to, you know, empower, basically to empower people to take control of their health and their fitness and their strength, et cetera, um, through education and coaching. So we, you know, run a number of services like coaching and writing articles and we are our own podcast, all that sort of stuff. Um, so, yeah, that's that's most, I guess, of of what is relevant big into health and fitness, um, both in terms of like my actual job through triage and through my studies. Obviously, physiotherapy and medicine are both very much intertwined in terms of their focus on health. So, so that's that's me. So you were studying in UL, you're studying physiotherapy? And now you're currently studying medicine in UCC. So I'm curious to know, why did you choose to study physiotherapy in the first place? And why did you choose to study medicine right now? Yeah, so I initially went into um, UL to study sports and exercise science. So that was my initial interest. But after doing first year of sports science, I kind of thought to myself that there wasn't any professional qualification out the other end. And I was so interested in exercise science already that I thought, I would naturally end up studying this stuff myself and trying to, and, and educating myself about it anyway, because I was a very keen reader of that sort of stuff. So I thought to myself, you know, why, why not, why not complement what you're already going to be studying by getting a professional qualification? And that's kind of where physiotherapy came in because, 
you know, physiotherapy is like fundamentally it's, it's clinical exercise prescription and it's, it's helping individuals from multiple different populations to engage mostly in exercise interventions to improve some aspect of their health, whether they currently be in pain or, you know, whether it's, you know, pediatrics where a a child has delayed development. So there's a broad spectrum there. And I thought those skills would be useful. Um, And, and actually like two years into physiotherapy, I actually took a year out and worked solely as a personal trainer. Um, and again, like that was a really enjoyable experience. So I've had, I had put my hand in, into many pies so far. And then I went back to physiotherapy and finished that degree off. And, and I'm glad, I'm glad I did it now because all that experience has stood to me. And it was fundamentally what got me interested in going on to study medicine. Because as I gained exposure on physiotherapy placements to the hospital environment and to the complexities of health and disease, I kind of thought to myself that if I wanted to reach the level of understanding that I wanted and to be like more thoroughly involved in that system, that training to be a doctor and studying medicine was the best path of going about that. And and that also essentially intertwines with our longer term goal with triage. Like our longer term goal with triage is essentially to elevate the standard of personal training to the point where there can be a more solid relationship between healthcare and what I call frontline healthcare professionals, such as personal trainers, coaches, etc., because I think that's a really important um, part of public health that is not currently being exploited, and there's multiple reasons for that. So that's ultimately the the very long term goal, and I thought that you know going on to study medicine would definitely help facilitate that. Um, in a in yeah, thank you for that. And I'm curious to know, like, what did you want to do when you were in school? Like, did you always aspire to get into the health sciences? Did you always aspire to get into personal training? Were you always interested in, like, you know, exercising, push yourself and reading and all this stuff? Like, what did you want to do when you were in school, if there is such a thing for you? Not at all, really. I was I was more so a, uh, I, I would say, like, I was, I was a fairly kind of just, like average student who was unsure of kind of what they wanted to do. Like I wanted to be a pilot. Like that was always what I wanted to be growing up. I wanted mm-hmm. to be a pilot. And so I thought that, you know, it was far too expensive to to train to be a pilot. Like for anyone that's looked into it, it's like 60,000 and I think you have to pay it up front. So I was like, nah, like I'm not going to be able to afford that. So I decided on aeronautical engineering. I always like maths and physics. So I was like, look, engineering is probably a good option. At least I can work with planes then. And eventually then when I have enough money, I'll become a pilot. And that was all fine until I was maybe in sixth year. And I was in my final year of um, secondary school. And I was after getting into training myself. So I started going to the gym myself. And I was never a, I was never a fit kid, not at all. I, I was never, I, did, I wasn't that sporty. Like I was active, definitely active because I grew up in a housing estate and you just end up being active, but was never really into sport. But the more I got into training, the more I was like, oh, God, like I, I really like the, the why behind this. And as soon as I was involved in training, it was always like, all right, why are we doing this? Like, could we do something better? And that naturally led to me trying to answer questions for myself that then led to answering questions for others, maybe in my gym. And then I thought, you know, this would be a really nice thing to, to go and learn more about. So that was what kind of set me off in that path. So I guess aeronautical engineering to to physiotherapy like very different but but there was some sort of sequence there i see and you said you didn't train um on, up until sixth year and what what gave you the initial influence i guess or the inspiration to actually go to the gym and train and develop your body and health was there anyone yeah so it was actually you? 
it was it was transition year mainly that actually gave me the the push. So, like in case anyone's listening is unaware of what transition year is, it's essentially a a year that you do after your junior cert before you enter your leaving cert cycle. So before you start fifth year, um, and it's essentially a year where you do more extracurricular stuff. And and one of the components of that was the Goshka Award, and the Goshka Award is essentially this this award that you get if you do like. You, you go on a walk with your class and you stay overnight in a few places and you do something that's um, community-based and you do something that's exercise-based. And and one of the things we had to do was basically sign off that we had gone to some sort of sports club or, or, or exercise activity for 12 for twelve weeks. So, like, I didn't really want to join a club because, again, as I said, I wasn't that interested in sport. Me and a couple of my friends basically said to each other, look, so why don't we just go to the gym and then we can just get them to tick that off but as i got into it and you start to improve it you get addicted you know and you start to really enjoy that process so it was fun. it was really transition year that started it off for me and then as i went into fifth and sixth year i think it really it really benefited me as a person even like approaching the leaving cert because you learn a lot of things through training that carry over to a lot of other areas of your life such as you know being organized especially if you're managing your nutrition like you have to be organized you have to plan things ahead um you have to keep on pushing when things are uncomfortable and you don't want to do them. Um, and, and then obviously there's the health aspects. Like like if you do exercise, you generally have better memory. You're generally going to be more focused. You're going to sleep better. So there's lots of things that kind of feed forward once you do initially get into exercise that would make you want to keep going thereafter. And a big thing with you is a too easy mindset. Um, you see this on Instagram, people hashtagging too easy, too easy, your own stories. And I'm curious to know, like, what is this too easy mindset? Like, uh, what's it all about? Yeah, so like for for me and Paddy, like we 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 talk about that the the whole time because, like, we would both be interested in like philosophy, like reading about philosophy and thinking about philosophy and trying to answer questions um, related to that. And I think like that's something everyone should think of is like, you know, how how like trying to answer philosophical questions, reading things like Stoicism, whether it be Seneca or Marcus Aurelius, like you can get a lot from from reading people in the past who have really contemplated the hard questions of life. Um, but but that's that's the, the point of that is that most people don't find that very accessible. Most people don't want to read these like old books that were written by these philosophers and trying to answer hard questions or modern philosophers. Like people don't want to, to have to go through all of that information. So one of the things that, that that we like to do is try and make things, you know, just real simple and give you something that you can take action on every day. And for me, that's turning around to myself and saying, you know, all right, let's go, Gary. Like it's too easy. Um, it's such a simple thing, but just saying to yourself that that something is too easy can often help you adopt the sort of perspective on things that you need in order to keep on pushing. And it is essentially a, a way of saying that approaching approaching any sort of challenge with that like fairly cliche stereotypical belief that yeah you can do it you know if you believe you can do it then you probably can do it and and it really is half the battle like and it, and the reason these things are cliches is because they're true <laughs> because you actually should think like that and whether it be the gym whether it be something um, academic related whether it be career related going into any of those challenges and saying to yourself like this is going to be too easy is always a better option than saying, oh, God, I'm, I'm not going to be able for this. Like, there's a time where that's appropriate. There's a time where you decided to 
go back and study medicine with with triage on those decisions that the easy option was to just do triage and to not continue studying like that was absolutely the easy option that would have been like intuitive to take if i was just trying to just be conservative whereas by saying you know what this is too easy you're going to be able to do it let's get after it then i turn around then in four weeks four years time and i'm like God, I'm, I'm glad I did that. You know, there's, there's a lot of, there's a big return on that investment, even though there'll be times where it's uncomfortable. So for me, encountering any of those challenges in life, saying to myself, you know, this is too easy. Um, it's just a helpful way of simplifying more complex thought processes. So it's not just about saying that everything is too easy and saying that there's nothing that's ever challenging. Rather, it's about changing your perspective on challenges that come at you recognizing what you can and can't control because that's a big part of it you know if you if if you're if you're saying you know this is too easy you essentially have to follow that up with the the actions that you have control over and you can only control so much so if you control the controllables and don't dwell on the things that you don't actually have control over then i think that's a a really solid way of approaching the challenges that that life will inevitably inevitably bring to all of us I absolutely love that mindset because I think that like at the moment there's so much negativity out there like you might open social media and you know you see like well not necessarily negativity but you're always constantly comparing yourself to other people or you open the news yeah. there's always negativity but like having a positive mindset having a positive outlook and like you said like just like if, if you say it you're probably going to do the actions that are that correspond to what you said I think that's super important and in terms of the you mentioned like a philosophy and stuff like that if there's any listeners who want to actually give it a go i would highly recommend the book meditation by marcus aurelius and um, you don't even need to read, read the whole book just read a few passages yeah. see what you think and but it's truly one of the best philosophy books out there and like, on, in philosophy and stuff like that and the other thing i wanted to ask you is the triage method so when did you actually begin doing the triage method and what gave you the initiative to begin yeah so we start we started triage in um, 2016 so we're turning three this year um but triage triage was four doing some of my own like online coaching just kind of skinny gas fitness was what i was you know saying my business was called um and, and also like one-to-one personal training but essentially like like triage was initially um myself um patty farrell and larry doyle we came together because we all had you know very similar goals in terms of like what we wanted to achieve within the industry, we were always kind of like it's just it's myself and Paddy because Larry Larry's own his own business and is doing some fantastic things now with his own business. So I'm delighted to see him doing really well. Um, but yeah, it essentially ended up being that me and Paddy wanted to push this thing forward just because we had some slightly different goals, um, but but both very much still pushing for the same the same central values. Um, but yeah, now now it's now it's me and Paddy, and essentially, like our overall goal is, as I said, to try and elevate the standard of personal training. And it's not just about helping the trainers; it's also about helping individuals. Like we we are primarily still a coaching business with an increasing amount of of education that we're bringing into the business. Um, and yeah, we just we just see a lot of potential for personal trainers to do a lot of good. But the current like educational structure for personal training is quite poor um, and a lot of the information that's out there is often quite disjointed and never put together in a logical coherent fashion for people to be able to follow so 
Um, I can definitely empathize with the young personal trainer who is struggling to find his or her way. Um, so we want to help to improve that and to guide people on the path um, in the future. And we've just brought on another coach as well, um, Breed Long. She's brilliant and she's she's currently leading the ladies group coaching. So our, our goal is to you know take on more trainers who, who want to do good, who really want to help people, who are keen to learn um, and just to, just to keep on growing and progressing as a business and in, as individuals as well. Yeah, the other question I wanted to ask you is personal training. So there's a lot of people out there who want to be personal trainers, who actually want to succeed as a personal trainer. But um, I'm, I, I don't think it's for everybody. And I'm curious to know, like, what do you think um, a good personal trainer is? Like, what makes a good personal trainer? Like, what, sh- what should you be interested in, in doing as a personal trainer? Because, um, yeah, like I said, like, it's probably not that easy. You know, you, you have to be informed and so on. So yeah, what 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 advice would you give to personal trainers? I guess that's my question. <laughs> yeah, no problem. Um, and yeah, so personal training is interesting because it has the potential to be such a a valuable, rewarding career, both in terms of like your own personal gain and what you can deliver to others. But the average lifespan, I think, of a personal trainer is about three to five years, and you see a lot of that where people. I think a lot of the reason that people end up getting into personal training is almost always because they enjoy training themselves. But you can't always assume that that will then translate into you, one, enjoying training others, or two, um, actually being good at training others. And that that's the difficult, difficult hurdle here, really. Um, and sometimes that works out perfectly, but not all the time. So in terms of what attributes you need to be a good personal trainer, I guess the first one is like a true desire to actually help people. Because once you become a trainer, it's no longer about you. And, you know, no matter how many followers you have or what a great physique you have, it doesn't really matter unless you can act, unless you actually want to help other people, because that's ultimately what drives your mm. decision, your your decisions, the decisions you make for people, your mm. desire to go home and learn in the evening, um, your your work ethic day to day, your your job satisfaction. Um, you need to, to want to 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 help people so that's kind of step one and part of that as well is is communication skills like the ability to communicate effectively with people from different backgrounds at different levels Uh, very often what personal trainers can can do as a mistake is communicate to their trainers or to their their trainees their clients in the same way that they would like to be communicated to themselves Um, you see a lot of that such as you know delivering messages like uh God, you know, go beast mode. It's time to crush it. Like, you know, your your forty year old uh, mother, gen- who's you know stressed all week and just wants to get some exercise in to stay healthy. She generally doesn't want to go beast mode. Like, it's, it mightn't be the primary goal. So, you have to think about who you're speaking to. So, communication is super important, and that also filters into things like behavior change. If you if you're not a, an effective communicator um, and you can't get your message across, then trying to help people to change their behaviors is going to be incredibly difficult. So there's lots of those soft skills that people don't often appreciate. And then one of the other things that's that's just so incredibly important is that desire to learn, that desire to always assume that you know far less than there is to know and that you'll never know all that could be potentially knowable you know and that's that is ep- the the fundamentals of epistemic humility like you always need to be humble enough to say that i know nothing you know there's so much more to learn and that i can learn from all of the individuals that are around that are around me that includes your clients peers the research papers that are available 
resources on social media, um, on different websites, etc. You know, you have to be hungry to continuously learn because you can get quite comfortable as a personal trainer and assume that you know all that you need to know, but then you will have that one client who just challenges you that extra bit. You know, they might ask you a question and you don't know the answer to it. And if you're not, if you're not willing to say, you know what, I don't know, can end up with generic answers that maybe aren't all that helpful all of the time. So, so yeah, they'd be some of the things that I would consider to be quite important. Like whenever I think of a personal trainer who's actually passionate about what they do and in terms of learning and just eagerness to learn, like you always pop to mind. So you've obviously built up a quite, um, quite a bit of a knowledge um, base on health, fitness, and nutrition. And I'm curious to know, like, what is your personal approach to health, fitness, and nutrition? Like, what do you do on a daily basis to optimize your health, to optimize your fitness and nutrition and so on? So, like, what is your approach to overall being a healthy, healthy dude? <laughs> yeah, so that, thank you. Thank you, firstly, for the for the compliment. I appreciate it. But the the um, the process, like. Like, you know, you mentioned there that, that I've built up a, a knowledge base and, and like, yeah, you know, I've spent a lot of time, a lot of time learning. Um, but like, the, again, even as, as for me, like I've spent years like trying to study this stuff and trying to improve my knowledge, but there's always so much more to learn. <laughs> hence, hence why I'm starting another degree, because there's always more to learn. But even at that, you know, how you like knowledge doesn't always like correlate well with the behaviors that one engages in. Um, and that, that can be quite obvious when you see you know, maybe doctors who are giving out all this health advice all the time, but they might not have the best health themselves. Um, and like, that's not always the, the individual's like fault. Like there could be other external factors that are in, like impinging on their ability to, to engage with certain health behaviors, such as working 70, 80 hours a week. But, but I guess what I'm saying is that you don't have to have a certain level of knowledge to be able to follow the behaviors that I'm going to suggest. So if anyone's listening and they're like, oh, I need to go and study for years before I can engage with the the behaviors and improve my health. Like that's definitely not the case. So like there's a few simple things that I think everyone should be doing and um, that I try and do to try and make sure that I stay healthy. Like number one is obviously like the fairly typical, you should exercise, you know, <laughs> that's a, mm. a fairly good idea. Like for me, that means a couple of different things. Like I, I've always loved weight training. So that's always a big part of my week. At the moment, I'll weight train maybe twice a week. But on average, I try to get uh, like across the year, if you were to look across the year, I try to get there three to four times a week. Um, but at the moment, I'm also doing Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. So that's a, a martial art you could summarize as grappling, more or less. And and that's something that I do like maybe three times a week as well at the moment. Um, in addition to that, then I, I like to go running. I cycle to and from college and I make a big effort to go walking and be active as much as I can. And I guess the point of, of, of delivering like that message and telling you what I do is that very often people seek out the best type of exercise for health, you know, to try, or to try and lose weight. And really it is fundamentally about finding something that you enjoy because you need to be able to do this for years and yeah. decades. Like that's ultimately what matters. So if you're worried about whether it's high intensity sprints on the bike or running on the treadmill, that's going to you should be like sampling different activities over time, seeing what you enjoy, and then trying to carry that over your kids, as I said. So, so that's a big part of things. Nutrition is obviously another massive part. Um, like you can approach nutrition in a number of different ways, but like generally, like you, it comes back to fairly simple rules. You know, trying to minimize your consumption of the typical kind of quote-unquote processed junk foods, 
But that doesn't mean you can't never have your favorite chocolate bar. Like, of course you can. But you want to minimize that consumption so that you're not consuming it three times a day, you know. Um, and then obviously eating more eating more plants is always a good idea. You know, eating plenty of fruits and vegetables. That's something I put a lot of emphasis on in my own diet. Like I try to aim for maybe eight to 12 servings of fruit and vegetables per day, which is a lot. But you do see benefits with those increasing intakes. Um, so that's something I, I put a lot of emphasis on. Getting enough protein is another thing I put a lot of emphasis on. So having a serving of protein um, from different sources, such as yogurt, eggs, meat, fish, etc., um, at least three times per day, sometimes four, depending on the portion size. Um, and yeah, just just overall trying to have balance within your diet. Like it's it's so cliche, but it's 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 really important to consider that like you want to have a diet that has a variety of foods, much like your exercise should be varied. Um, and, and you also want to make sure that you are fueling appropriately for the tasks that you're engaged in. Like, for example, if you're trying to lose weight, then you need to consume like less calories than you are expending day to day. If you're over consuming total calories, then you're not going to be reaching your goal. However, if you're an athlete and you're trying to maximize performance, then if you're under eating, that doesn't fac facilitate your goals. So that's the more nuanced point that people might want to consider um, once they've considered like the basic healthful nutrition practices like eating plenty of plants you eating enough protein eating enough fiber um, having a variety of different foods and minimizing uh quote-unquote junk foods where possible and you know not consuming excess amounts of alcohol like they're pretty simple things and then the other thing that like people people often ignore but is so important is sleep and i've spent a lot of time ignoring that in my own past like it's very easy to think you can get away without sleep but Getting seven to nine hours of unbroken sleep per night is honestly one of the most potent things you could possibly do for your health. And I don't think there's one exercise or nutrition hack that is ever going to outdo the benefit of getting that amount of sleep. So that is a really, really huge one. And then the final thing that I always like to add in, in terms of health, that I don't think people appreciate enough is trying to, trying to do things in life that are meaningful to you. Like that's so incredibly important, whether that be mm. career-wise, career-wise, spending time with your significant other, you know, trying to foster good relationships with friends and family. Um, like those things are so important to, you know, support life and also just building a solid support system to bring forward with you into the future. So if you're not doing things that you enjoy every day, that you're passionate about, that you're excited to wake up and do, um, then I don't think you're maximizing your quality of life. And I don't think there's any exercise or nutrition variable that can really really replace that and that doesn't mean that you need to wake up every day like laughing and smiling and that every day will be easy but there should ultimately be some purpose as to why you woke up this morning like what what, what what's the purpose what where, where do you derive your meaning like they're the they're the things that i think seriously do affect people's quality of life that don't get discussed enough yeah absolutely you said so much i have a lot of sub questions but speaking in terms of like that yeah. relationships and so on I actually, like, this is something that I kind of found out recently as well. Like, apparently, like, if you don't have good relationships, it's, it's probably just as bad as smoking a cigarette each day or whatever. Like, it, it's not great for your health. So, like, having, like you said, no. having a meaning in life, having a sense of community, having deep, meaningful relationships is super important. And you also talked about nutrition. And you said that you eat a lot of plants with 8 to 12 servings. Now, personally, I'm kind of doing the same. So, I'm eating lots of... um like veg and i'm treating meat as a side dish uh fish as a side dish and i'm curious to know like what are your thoughts on nutrition because there's, there's a lot of information out there from different sources like there's veganism you know there's the 
all carnivore diet and like just valid points from each side of the papers i guess but like how like you've you've read quite a good bit of um papers in regards to like nutrition and i'm curious to know like what is your personal approach on nutrition like how do you treat it yeah so like personally like i have a a few like fairly simple rules of thumb and and, and guiding principles like the number one thing like is is consuming a calorie appropriate diet and i say calorie appropriate because that like people will often summarize health as being like oh just eat a calorie deficit but that's not always appropriate and that's so your your diet should be calorie appropriate meaning that like if you if you are say if you if you're overweight right if you're overweight or obese then one of the most one of the potent things that you can do to improve your health is try and lose some weight because that can improve multiple multiple elements of your health and extend your lifespan now having said that that doesn't mean that that's always the priority and always what something need, someone needs to do at, at any point in time. And it doesn't mean that you can't improve your health without losing weight. That's a key point. But your calorie intake is essentially what dictates whether or not you are going to lose weight in that context. Similarly, it's what's going to dictate whether or not you gain weight. So if your goal is to build more muscle for the purpose of health, then like calories are a seriously important consideration. Um, additionally, like like consuming sufficient protein is always a good idea from my perspective, um, especially if you're training quite a bit. Um, the recommended day most people in terms of protein intakes, but at the same time, if you're just a general population person, you probably don't need to be consuming like protein six times per day unless you're training. Now, could most people benefit from increasing their protein a bit? Probably, because it does tend to keep you a bit fuller. Um, it has a higher thermic effect to feeding, meaning that you know you, you burn a little bit more calories when you consume higher protein versus other macronutrients. Um, just in the process of like assimilating and digesting those nutrients. So, so yeah, protein is, is generally a, a fairly sound thing to try and focus on in your diet. And that can come from multiple sources. You know, as I said, like, like meat is the obvious one, but also like fish and, and beans, you know, people who are vegans can still consume um, adequate, adequate amounts of protein through like beans, legumes, and there's even like protein in rice and oats. Um, yogurt is a fantastic one, like obviously not for vegans, but yogurt is a great option, dairy proteins, eggs, etc. So protein is something that I emphasize quite a bit in my diet. And um, plants, as, as we both just agreed on, you know, plants, eating more plants is always a good idea, both in terms of like, like straight up fruits and vegetables, like getting as much color as possible is always a good idea. And um, you're getting fiber from those foods, you're getting multiple micronutrients and even phytonutrients, like really small bioactive compounds that are not necessary for life, but have their own effects that are generally beneficial for health um so there's there's those things that are going on um, and then like dietary fat plenty of you know nuts olive oil seeds and um, salmon you know oily fish these types of, of are generally a little bit lower in, in, in saturated fat but that doesn't mean you have to avoid saturated fat either it's just a case that you know having a diversity of fat sources in your diet is, is generally a fairly sound um <clears throat> nutritional practice so, so yeah, that's the, that's the fat side of things. And again, all of this is falling within the context of your overall calorie intake. And then like carbohydrates, like I'm a, I'm not a, a low carber by any sense, by any sense of the word. And that, you know, some people are like swear by you need to go low carb. Whereas I think like the majority of the evidence would suggest that like for, for health, like carbohydrates are probably a good idea because what carbohydrate based foods tend to include fiber, but obviously it depends on the types of carbohydrates that you're eating. So eating things like oats and whole grains and potatoes and lentils, etc. you know, all those foods can be really helpful from a health perspective. And that's especially the case if you are an athlete, 
you need carbohydrates to be able to perform um, at, at your best for sure. Um, same if you're just a gym goer who wants to get the most out of their training, like eating sufficient carbohydrates is probably a good idea. So, so yeah, like there's, they'd be like my overarching themes. I try not to go to extremes with my nutritional recommendations ever. Um, you know, my focal points are always on trying to achieve balance and sustainability for people. I don't want people to have to go to extremes and just eat meat or just eat plants. Um, if that is something you want to do, then that's totally fine. You know, if you're a vegan for ethical reasons, that's your personal, you know, ethical or moral compass. And and I'm not going to tell someone not to do that. But for me, um, that that wouldn't be the approach I take, I guess. And I'd like to touch on protein because um, I read a couple of books in regards to like um, nutrition. It was mostly about veganism because I was quite interested yeah. in it. And like some of the books include like How Not to Die, The China Studies, yeah. Evolution and the Nutrition Bible. And these authors, um, they suggest that, you know, we don't actually need that much protein. They, they suggest like 50 grams is okay for the average person. Like you said, if you train, you're obviously going to need more protein. But I'm curious to know, like, how much protein do you think um, we we should get um, on average? Because, like, from authors of these books, they were saying we need roughly like 50 to 60 grams. And uh, as a population, we consume far too much protein, especially from animal sources. So I'm just curious to know, like, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, so personally, like, first of all, I suppose I'd give the caveat that, like, when talking about recommendations for population health, like, I'm not a dietitian, and that is not my area of expertise. So I wouldn't like to people to think like, oh, this guy's the definitive expert, like, not at all. But I think, like, overall, the the evidence would probably suggest that people could benefit from increasing their protein intake a little bit. Uh, if you're looking at a population uh, at an observational level, and you say, oh, this population they eat loads and loads of protein look like, all from meats like if you generally like look at what that actually consists of that could be you know lots of hot dogs lots of burgers um you know it's not like it's not like you're looking at people who are consciously trying to consume salmon and vegetables you know <laughs> so it's a yeah. you have to always consider the context when you're when you're consuming um this information but you know wh- one of the things that we see particularly in aging populations is increasing anabolic resistance and sarcopenia and that's essentially the process of loss of muscle mass which is detrimental to your function in later life so if you are if you are adopting that approach where you're trying to minimize your protein intake um, as you begin to age then that's generally not a sound practice if you're trying to maintain your function as best as possible so that's something i'm always cognizant of when i see recommendations of of lower protein intakes and the other thing to really consider there is that like when you increase your protein intake, people tend to spontaneously eat less calories. So they'll reduce their calorie intake and people tend to lose weight um, in studies where protein intake spontaneously increased. And considering that most of the diseases of modern lifestyle are related to obesity and the chronic over overconsumption of calories, I think that that, that big win cannot be ignored. Um, and also the other thing I would say about like when consuming information from diet books, like I would always be like incredibly skeptical. Like for example, the the China study is is an interesting like case there because it's mm. like for years and years, like people, actual scientists have been like debunking that book because it's a it's essentially a misrepresentation. I think its scientific accuracy has been has been rated at fifty eight percent roughly, um, and that that's by Stefan Guillenay's company, like Red Red Pen Reviews, if you want to look it up, redpenreviews.com. They've reviewed um, all of the citations and all of the claims in that book. 
um, the China study. So, so generally, like when I, 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 I would try to avoid reading popular nutrition books because they tend to always have some sort of like strong bias that is in one direction, like whether that be keto or whether that be like a vegan diet. Um, the, the answer tends to be a little bit more moderate than is often presented in books because obviously mo- like moderate recommendations don't tend to sell very well <laughs> in Eason's. Um, and so, yeah, so like as for a specific number that people should consume in terms of protein, like I, I wouldn't be entirely sure of like what the specific recommendation would be because again, everyone is going to vary in yeah. terms of their, like what the priority should be on an indi- individual level. Like if someone is, happily maintaining their body weight and per day like that, that might be a different recommendation to someone who is really trying to lose weight reduce the calorie intake and doing lots of resistance training um so yeah i i i'm not i wouldn't be giving a hardline recommendation for the whole population <laughs> at all but if people are training generally you want to be consuming like 1.6 to 2.5 grams per kilogram of body weight so let's say you're 75 kilos and you want to eat like one point or, or let's say two grams per kilo, then that'd be like 150 grams of protein a day, which is quite a bit. But if you want to get the most out of your resistance training, um, that's generally a good idea. If you're playing other sports and like it's not as resistance training focused, then maybe like 1.2 to 1.5 grams per kilo is probably a sound enough recommendation. Um, mm. and, and generally, like if, if, if I was coaching someone, I don't have anyone consume less than like 1 to 1.5 grams generally. Um, just because it, it makes a lot of practical sense to support exercise and to support satiety as well. And for any anyone who wants to build get get stronger, I guess, and build muscle in the gym, um, and they want to spend like they want to be as efficient as possible. So you know, um, like using twenty percent of their time to produce eighty percent results, using the Pareto principle. Like, what kind of what what kind of things would you give to such an individual who wants to get stronger and just build muscle? Yeah, perfect. Um, so like, like there's again, th- like this is all going to depend on the the level that you're already at and whether or not you have gym experience. But assuming you know the names of some basic exercises, um, like like basically what you want what you want to do is like one, choose a gym time that is uh quiet. <laughs> like do to make your training more effective and more efficient, because if you're going to the gym at the time, you're training. It's going to take much longer. So that's step one. Find out a gym and or go to the gym when it is quiet. After that, you know, be very selective about your actual goals. And um, we talk about this a lot at triage where people just almost inherit their goals from others. Like they'll just train like a bodybuilder because they think they should train like a bodybuilder. Whereas if your goal is like to build a stronger squat and that and that's pretty much it, then you don't need to spend as much time doing rows and overhead presses as someone else who might want to build their shoulders and chest a little bit more um, so that's what i would say you know to use your use your goals to design your training program as opposed to designing your program based on the goals of somebody else so so that's quite important um and then what what, what you should be looking to do is choose exercises that you feel are most effective for you for example if you're doing exercises that you feel you don't get much out of and you're doing other other exercises that you really love and that you feel you just get that really hit the muscles that you're trying to train, I would be prioritizing those. As an example, let's say you spend loads of time doing 
like single arm dumbbell rows, but you really don't like them. And anytime you do them, you feel you're just doing them for the sake of it. Whereas when you do chin-ups, you love chin-ups and you always put your maximum effort into them. Then I would put more effort into chin-ups and just take the dumbbell rows out of your program. Because at the end of the day, you don't need to do every exercise under the sun. Like I would start by saying like, why not pick four or five exercises? That's all that hit most of your muscle groups. Like for example, some sort of squat or leg press variation. So you're, you're hitting your quads, your glutes, your adductors some sort of deadlift or hip hip hinge variation, such as a deadlift from the floor or a Romanian deadlift. Um, it could even be a good morning, you know, something along those lines, something like a, 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 chest, a chest press variation. So that could be a chest press machine or it could be a barbell bench press or a dumbbell bench press, uh, maybe an overhead press. So something where you're pressing a weight over your head, like a, a barbell or dumbbell overhead press, and then some sort of pulling exercise. So like a chin up or a row variation. So, you're taking a handful of exercises and then you make it your priority to get stronger at those across multiple sets, training, let's say three to four days per week to start off. And if you can do that much and you use a variety of repetition ranges, let's say five to 15 reps, and you do three, three to five sets per workout, let's say for those exercises, or you build up to that over time. Um, like, let's say you do a, a squat, a mil, uh, an overhead press and a, a bench press on a Monday and then choose and then Wednesday you do a, a deadlift a, a chin up and an overhead press etc you just kind of set your exercise your your week up around the exercise that you're trying to get better at then you you train hard obviously make pretty good progress and that's particularly the case if you're a beginner like you really don't need to be worrying too much about trying to make things really fancy and there's 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 great machines out there there's great ways of setting up cable exercises but I think starting by keeping things simple keep keeping things you know very much within your comfort zone in terms of like what you're comfortable programming and learning those exercises is is really good practice i think in terms of programming um like do you think people should can program uh like program an exercise program for themselves like just by reading uh like different sources on the internet so for example like you said include competent exercises so like include like a deadlift which will work like a big set of muscles then like do a bench press but like yeah do you think do you think it's okay for people to program their own exercise or should they get an expert uh, like from a triage or whatever? What? Yeah, so I do think people can program for themselves, but I think they have to keep things much simpler than a, a coach might might right. keep them, for example. like, And what I mean by that is like, the reason I gave those very simple recommendations is to try and reduce lots of complex things down to the, the simplest unit of information that I can deliver, okay? Because there's no point in me saying, Oh, you need to find an exercise that trains like shoulder horizontal um, adduction. Um, and that could be any exercise once you set up the forces appropriately, because that's not actionable, actionable information for anyone that's listening to your podcast. So that's the difference between the way a personal trainer might think about a problem and the way that the individual should try and put it into practice. So like for that reason, we put a lot of like quite cheap resources out there for people trying to build their own programs. Like we've got two different sets of training templates on our website, uh, three and four day variations. And there's like eight to 10 programs in each of those eBooks. And they're 30,000 page eBooks that not only give you eight to 10 programs that help you, you know, implement these programs yourself, but also all of the relevant theory as to why we're making those decisions so that in the long term you can make these decisions for yourself. So that's the way we try and deliver that information. And like we sell those for 9.99. And I mean, Getting 10 programs and 30,000 words of information for 9.99 is it's, it's nothing, yeah. you know. And we also have a beginner's ebook as well, 
that's a little bit more expensive, but again, it's a bit more theory dense for people who really want to learn how to manage their training and nutrition for themselves. So do I think people can manage things themselves? Absolutely. I'm very confident that with, with appropriate levels of knowledge and understanding, people can make great decisions. However, it doesn't always work out that way. <laughs> um, and that's, that's more of an individual thing than anything else. But can you go and make great progress on your own? Absolutely. And you also mentioned early on that you uh, you go to the gym or you weight train for two days a week. Now, that came as a surprise to me because I thought you'd be training a lot more than that. And I'm curious, like, first of all, why are you why are you only training two times a week? Would you like to train more? And like, and the other question I had is, what do you do within your two days? Do you do, do you do just a full body workout or do you just prioritize the exercise that you mentioned earlier on in the podcast? Yeah, so for some context, I'm... I'm competing in a, a Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu competition this weekend. Um, so that that's the primary reason that I've reduced my weight training down from where it might be on average. So for me, like, as I just said, you know, in relation to the advice I was giving to others, I try to prioritize my training decisions based on my personal goals. So if I'm trying to focus more on Jiu-Jitsu for a while, then it makes sense for me to go to more Jiu-Jitsu sessions and um, to do maybe a bit more conditioning work as opposed to constantly trying to gain more strength. Because realistically, you know, I've, I've got a, a decent enough base of strength for my weight class. Um, so pushing on my conditioning another bit and working more on the skill of jiu-jitsu is the biggest win for me. So that's a, a yeah. good example of the theory I was talking about in practice of trying to build a program that's based on your goals. Then in terms of like what I'll actually do, you're, you're dead right. So it is primarily like full body training that I will opt for when I am training two days per week. And even when I'm training three days per week, because I think it's a more stable way of training, especially if you're unsure of when you'll get to the gym next. Like, for example, if I like I'm quite busy with college and with triage and with jujitsu and, and with commuting and stuff like that. So even if I wanted to get to the gym three days per week, I can't guarantee I'm going to be get I'm going to get there just solely due to the amount of hours in the day. So for me, it makes more sense to say, all right, I'm going to get to the gym when I can and do full body sessions than to say, right, I'm going to do a push session, a pull session, and then, and then a leg session. Because if you think about what that looks like in practice, that would be me getting my push and my pull sessions done. So getting all the upper body work done. But then that third session, if I miss it, then I'm missing lower body training. And if that happens, mm -hmm. let's say two weeks out of four, then I'm getting double the upper body training in than I am the, the lower body training. So you're always taking the hit in one specific area. So it's a bit fragile. Whereas if you have a full body program, if you ever miss a session, you're missing a little bit of everything as opposed to all of one thing. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's essentially why I set things up the way I do. So I'll essentially go in um, with some sort of preliminary plan and I'll basically do it, like what I was advising where I'll, I'll pick an exercise for some sort of squatting variation. Maybe I'll do a deadlift variation. I'll do some sort of pressing variation um, and do some sort of roll. And if I have more time, I'll add in a few more bits. You know, I might do some arm specific work or I might do some lateral raises. Um, but the, I'm, I'm really trying to get, you know, as much out of those first 30 to 40 minutes in the gym as I can, because generally I try not to make my sessions last much longer than 40 or 45 minutes. So, so that's the way I set things. Yeah, that makes complete sense. And like, actually, like as a result of reading your articles and just looking through your Instagram, I kind of take the sim similar approach. Like, if you know, if there's not enough time, just do do what you can with what you have. Like, so do like a squat for your legs, and that should be enough. And then do another one, just to you know, maximize maximize efficiency, 
with the least amount of time so i think that approach is super cool and i'm curious to know like what is the worst piece of advice that you often hear within your industry so that is personal training fitness health and all that like is there any advice out there that you just think is untrue um let me think now because there are a lot of things um do, 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 do. yeah i suppose like I, I suppose one of the biggest things it's more of a theme than anything else but it's the sort of all or nothing mindset that tends to creep into all discussions about fitness you know where people will celebrate like not having any ice cream or chocolate or anything or never having a drink Mm. um for let's say two or four weeks like which is good like it's good that people are doing that but it misses the point it misses the point that there are like nutritional priorities that you need to to try and hit like you know eating enough vegetables as we discussed eating appropriate calories blah 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 everything we said but you can still do that while you know having a glass of wine on a friday night with your partner you can do it while having you know some pizza on a saturday you can have it or, or some ice cream or whatever and i think it's really important for people to know that you're allowed to have flexibility you're allowed to enjoy food like that's a really important part of, of life in general and then it also filters into to training discussions as well people again adopt this sort of all or nothing mindset where they need to have the quote-unquote best program like they have to build the best program possible as opposed to like just saying to yourself like what can I get done? What can I enjoy? And what do I think is going to be most practical? Because otherwise people just end up, you know, if they miss one workout, they're like, oh, you know, fuck it. That's my week ruined. And then they go and they binge or they miss their next workout as well. Or, you know, so, so that all or nothing mindset can really be detrimental to not just your progress, but you're actually, you know, your wider life. As in, if you're missing social events or, you're not doing your best in college or you're not doing your best in your job just just because of your fitness i think that's 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 quite sad and i i always sympathize with people that end up in that position and in terms of health um like optimal health how do you define health because like i used to think you know oh the people who you see on instagram if they have big muscles if they all that oh they must be healthy but i'm came to the conclusion that that's actually not true so i think for me like how do i define health i think like you know ability to run ability to do like basic activities like walking up the stairs even like all this and just with complete ease and just nutrition like but i'm curious to know like what is your um definition of optimal health and like what should people do to maximize your health yeah great question i actually recorded a podcast on this a while back if people if people do want to get the more comprehensive answer to this question just look up like what is health on the triage method mm. podcast or it's a, i have an article on our website about this as well but there's a number of there's a number of different definitions that people kind of bring up and one of the ones I liked quite a bit came up in the journal of the American Medical Association earlier this year and it was it, I think it was the ability to self-manage and adapt to stressors and it was something along those lines anyway I, I can't remember it perfectly but I think there's a lot in there that's really important to think about because so often we think of health as being this this really black and white thing where, you know, if your cholesterol is in this, this, this range, you're healthy. If your blood glucose is in this level, you're healthy. Um, if your body fat is this percentage, you're healthy. Whereas it goes so much beyond that. Like those things are really important. You know, having, having your, your blood markers in, in check, that's important. You know, adequate nutrient status, that's important. You know, consuming sufficient fiber, you know, having a healthy digestive health, all that sort of stuff, all really important stuff. 
But it goes beyond that, your ability to do all the things that you need to do each day um, independently, be able to go about your life and do the things that life brings upon, bring, brings at you, um, brings upon you without, you know, it being much of a problem. Like, I think that's a big part of health is being able to just do as many things that you need to be able to do. But also, you know, the, the social and the psychological element is so incredibly important as well. You know, being able to, or being, having good supportive relationships is, is very important for health. And that may seem like it's, somewhat like contradictory to, to self-management but it's really not because having that 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 support system is part of what like helps you be an independent independent individual because you know that you that support system is there if you ever need to, to fall back on it and, and you you know that you have a role there as well to to help all others so that community aspect is huge and you do see that you know loneliness and and social isolation is like really, really bad for your health. Like you see that in all the research and that was something you brought up earlier as well. Um, so that's really important to consider. So it's, you know, having strong relationships, being part of a community, having a meaning and purpose in life is really, really important. Um, again, I said that earlier as well. Um, and all that is in, is in that article I discussed. So having a meaning and a purpose in life, feeling like you're able to take on the tasks that come at you every day, um, having good physical fitness, obviously, you know, a, good cardiorespiratory fitness, sufficient muscle mass, not having excess body fat, having your, your blood markers in check, all really important. And obviously, like, you have the more classical health stuff of, like, managing disease with any medica medication that's necessary if you do have certain conditions. So I guess the main point I'd like to deliver there is, is to look beyond just training and nutrition and to consider those psychosocial elements as part of your health as well yeah absolutely and i will definitely link the um the article and the podcast in the show notes and in terms of research and papers um there's a lot of information out there coming from many different angles so how do you know if you can really trust a paper like what wh how do, what is your approach to reading papers and how do you know if you can actually make a valid conclusion from what you read yeah that can be a hard question because sometimes it depends it depends like on, on the even the type of study. Like for example, some study designs would be better to design to, to answer some questions than others. And I think you do need to have some sort of background in in at least understanding basic research research methods to be able to do that. Um so like generally when going through a study, you want you want to know a couple of different things. Like let's say it is a a trial, a, a randomized control trial of sort, which is which is the type of study where you've got a, an intervention group so there's a group that's doing the intervention let's say it's exercise so one group will be doing intervention and um, then the other group will be the control group you want so you want to assess the effect based on you know the difference between the response in the control group and the, response in the exercise group so that's your intervention so a randomized control trial would be a trial a study where you have you've got those two those two different groups and people would be randomized into those groups through some sort of randomization process and then what you'd want to know is what's the population that was studied? So if you're a 25-year-old male and you're trying to make training decisions, but you're doing it on the basis of a study that was carried out in 60-year-old postmenopausal females, then that's not an appropriate population for you to derive conclusions from. It might be somewhat informative, but it's not going to tell you the whole story. Then you want to know what the actual intervention was. So if you see that the intervention was a... or no, to go back to the population thing just once more, like one of the things that comes up a lot is 
you see a lot of training studies in um, untrained individuals. And if you're a trained individual who's been training for 10 years, those results might be very different for you. And that then filters into what you see in the, interve- in the, in the intervention. So when you're considering the intervention, if you've got a training study and the subjects were training twice per week and they gained 10% muscle mass, then if you're an advanced trainee, then you know that's not going to be the case for you because you've already trained six times per week for years on end. So it's very unlikely that adopting this this program is going to be effective. So again, that kind of comes back to the population. Then the con- like the control, like you want to know what, what the actual control group, what were the characteristics of the control group, what, what were the changes in that group? Because what you might see sometimes is that, all right, the the... Uh, the intervention group took this supplement and they lost five kilos of body fat, you know, on this exercise, uh, in this exercise study. And then you're like, whoa, that's amazing. But then you look at the control group and they also had the same outcomes, even though they didn't take the supplement. So if you're not reading the method section of a paper, you're not getting the full story. And then the outcome, you, you want to know like what was actually measured and do you actually care about it? For example, if you care, if you care about building muscle and the outcome of a training study was improvements in vo2 max which is a marker of like cardiorespiratory fitness if that was the mar- the outcome using that study and you see oh they improved their fitness and you're just training for building muscle that's not relevant to you so that outcome isn't important so there's some of the things that i would encourage people to think about um at least to question um and and all that information can generally be found in the found in the method section of the study so you get to see what the researchers actually did in a study and then you can see if that's relevant to the question you're trying to answer and from all your research all your learning your experience over the past few years just from reading uh your courses even like what are the three biggest lessons that you learned uh that that you believe are true so the first thing would would be that um generally you want to look at claims and if they seem like they're going to be like they're a bit really big deal, whether it be positive or negative, you should try and play down um, what they're saying and try to be skeptical. And what I mean by that is if something is claimed to be like a new trick or a new hack or the wonder solution, it's probably like too good to be true. Like most things that sound too good to be true generally are too good to be true. Like we we generally don't see like one secret exercise or one secret supplement or diet change that makes massive impacts on people's health. So that also works the other way around. Like when you see in the research that or in the popular media that this one food is the cause of cancer, like that's generally a bit of a red flag. Like these diseases tend to be quite complex and develop over multiple years and decades. And it's very difficult to pinpoint one singular cause. And when you see those types of things in the research, I would generally consider that to be a red flag. So that's sort of two points. If anything seems way too good to be true, that, and if something seems like it's automatically going to kill you, like be reasonable about it, you know, be conservative, you know, if the, if it's smoking, then you're like, okay, yeah, pretty bad idea. But if it's like some type of fruit, you know, generally, like foods aren't going to like be that detrimental, and they don't end up that massive toxic effects. So, so yeah, they're both important points. Um, the next thing that is a super super important point would be that like consistency trumps perfection one hundred percent of the time, and that goes for literally every area of your life. I spent so much time worrying about 
you know, the perfect program, the perfect diet, the perfect study technique. And what really matters is keeping your head in the game for long enough to outlast others, if that's what you're concerned with. But more importantly, to be able to keep bettering yourself because development in any area of life occurs in the long term. And muscle building is a key example of that. Like muscle building is a very, very slow process and it gets slower with time. So you need to enjoy the process. You need to enjoy the ride. You need to be committed to that process because if not, it doesn't matter how hard you train for six months, you're never going to reach your potential. Like it takes decades. Like if you want to build the maximum amount of muscle that you possibly can, all right, like hop on and stay on, on the wagon for 20 years and then you might get close. But if you're just expecting that in three years, like you're probably not going to get there. Mm. It's thinking about exercise science and trying to, you know, improve my knowledge. I'm sure I thought that I'd know everything in six months. And like, here we are, like, you know, six, six or seven years later. And I'm like, oh God, I'm just getting started. You know, so it never really does end. So consistency over perfection, 100% of the time. So they're two pretty important messages that I think carry over to a lot of aspects of life. You said a lot of things there. I don't even know what the heck to respond. But I like to segue into books. <laughs> um, so, um, like, if if there's any books that come to mind that you often recommend it to others, or that perhaps you gift to other people, um, do any books come to come to mind? Absolutely. Um, the first one that I generally like, I, I got this from my dad, and I always recommend it to other people, and. I've heard many people recommend it as well as um, Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl. Yeah. Like that is that is one of those books that I think there's not a single human being on the planet that could not benefit from reading that book. And like that's a theme that goes across a lot of books that I enjoy is if you can if you can find books that describe the human experience in the worst of conditions, you're generally like gonna get a lot from that. Like in Viktor Frankl's case, you know, he's he's discussing life in the concentration camps um, and discusses like the human element of that, like the human experience, what, what led to like, he's talking about, you know, the, the perspectives of the, the camp guards, but also the individuals within the camp and how he coped and how certain individuals coped. And I think that's a very potent book for people to, to read. Um, there are many, there, there's lots of others and, and a lot of them are, would be you know quite cliche you know like 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 i'm pretty sure many people have heard of crime and punishment um that's a, a really good book by fyodor dostoevsky and like that's a book that it gives you again like i like books that give you like psychological insights by showing you like deep elements of human suffering and like that that that's a fantastic book other books like a, a much more simple one if you're not interested in reading like dense books is Jocko Willink's um, Extreme Ownership. Yeah. It's just like really, really practical book to the point as Jocko always is. And I just, I like writing like that, that is like to the point and once it's there to make your life better and, and nothing else. And I think that's a, that I, I always recommend is uh, Surely You're Joking Mr. Feynman by uh, Professor Richard Feynman. It's a fantastic book. Like uh, Richard Feynman was a, a physicist and a, a world renowned physicist. And he's just a really interesting character because he lived a, a very interesting life that you wouldn't generally associate with a, a physicist. So that's that's like the bonus one that I think is just an entertaining read that 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 people will probably enjoy. 
And in terms of habits, is there any habits that have helped you the most in the last five years? So just looking back on your last five years, is there any habit in particular that helped um, your overall overall life the most? Um, let me think. I think like, yeah, actually, I, I would say probably getting up early. And I don't think that, I, the thing is, I don't think this is a rule for everyone. As in like, if you love staying up late and getting work done, please continue. You know, it's, it, the more important point is making a part of your day that you know is your time. Like that is your time of the day to get, to get things done that matter to you. Mm. Um, and that's particularly important for someone that may be working on like a, some sort of side hustle, as, as some might call it. So for example, let's say you're a college student or you work a job, but you want to start doing something else on the side and get things going or do things that are meaningful to you, then having a portion of the day that is like, it's just, uh, what's the, what's the word? It's a uh, non-negotiable, <laughs> non-negotiable time of the day is, is, is a really good way about going about things. For me, that's always been getting up early because like, if you get up at like four, half, four, five, even 6am, you've always got like two to three hours at least before the rest of the, the rest of the world get going. And before you're likely to have any commitments, you know what I mean? Um, so getting up early, super important thing, but that has to be coupled with going to bed earlier as well. So <laughs> don't forget that because sleep uh, is super important. And if you're trying to get stuff done, you, you need to be well slept. So I think getting up early has been most impactful for me. I, I agree with the getting up early. Like this is something uh, I've been doing for the last few years as well, just getting up at like half um, half five, six and going to bed early as well, which comes, comes as a disadvantage. But I don't know. You got yeah. To, uh, sacrifices come come for help, I suppose. Exactly. And the other question I wanted to ask you is, a, so let's just say there's a billboard and on that billboard, you can display whatever message you want. It may be a quote. It may be whatever you can think. Of. And anyone in the world can see, look up at the sky and they can see this billboard just chilling there. Uh, what would you, what message would you put up on that billboard? Oof. Oh man. So it would be one of two things. It would be either a very positive message or it would be something absolutely horrible. <laughs> and the reason for that is because I think there's two ways of improving your perspective on life every day. And one is to, you know, use typical kind of positive psychology tricks. Like, for example, I have a tattoo that says be happy. Like that's one of the messages that I've carried forward for many years is just to be grateful. For, it's not it's not just about being happy as in like go around smiling like an idiot all day, but to be grateful for what you have in life, to recognize that you have the opportunity, you probably, if you're listening to this podcast, have far better opportunities than many people on the planet today, and certainly the vast majority of humans that have ever lived. So I think gratitude is a massive, massive part of how I approach life, and I would want to deliver that message. So if people could interpret it correctly, I think be happy would be a good message. But the other thing is I would like to put something stark and horrible and just to make people like wake the fuck up <laughs> and mm. what i mean by that is there's so many tragic circumstances today and throughout history that humans have had to go through that make everyday life seem so simple um, and make all of our issues like our problems just seem totally fleeting you know if you were someone that was alive in you know, in the Soviet Union and you had to spend a decade or two in the Soviet gulags, the work camps, um, and you had to 
work, you know, 12 hours a day with your hands freezing in minus 50 degrees weather in, in Siberia, like that's a horrible, horrible existence. The same for people who had to suffer in the Nazi concentration camps. You know, there's been some pretty horrible shit that humans have done to each other. And after that, reading about it, watching videos, being aware that like life is not all like, like roses. Um, if, if you can expose yourself to that sort of information on the daily or weekly or monthly, I think you can change your perspective on life. Like one of the, a great way to do that is to listen to something like the Jocko podcast, like Jocko Willink, um, former Navy SEAL. He has a podcast where he discusses war every week. He's like, a, gets like a million listeners per episode because there's an appetite for this stuff. And he discusses, you know, war. He often reads expert excerpts from books that are, that, you know, again, give you insight into the worst of, uh, humans at their worst and, and humans at their best and i think something along those lines of, of exposing people to how horrible some people have it i think is is a nice um you know compliment to the positive message that i would want to share so so that might give you some ideas if you're trying to build a billboard <laughs> wow what an answer i absolutely love that especially the whole you know getting a perspective on how how good you have it and comparing your life to other people yeah, who are literally in misery i love that answer thank you for that and i think this is a good opportunity to finish up the episode before we do is there anything out there that i just like to say to the listeners ending at all ending at all they like to mention yeah so um i suppose like the the first thing would be, you know, there, as, as we've alluded to, there are many opportunities that lots of us have, you know, every day now. And it's it, like, it's, it's a very great, it's a fantastic time to be alive. And yeah, sure, we have more maybe existential questions and threats to people change or the environment or other things. And, you know, people concern themselves with things like that. But at the same time, there are, like, there's never been a better time to be alive as a human in terms of, like, your everyday existence. And obviously, like, that is more so the case in countries like Ireland where we are. So I would, you know, encourage people to be aware of that and also to, you know, not be afraid to, like, go out and try to, you know, take advantage of every day that's thrown at you. Like, you know, Dom, you're, you're doing this podcast and it's fantastic to see because, again, you're just taking a shot at it. You know, you're just saying, all right, I'm going to start this podcast. I'm going to chat to people. Like, the worst thing that come out that can come out of this for you is that you'll speak to some interesting people. Like hopefully I'm, I'm somewhat interesting, but I'm sure there's far more interesting people. You'll speak to some interesting people um, for an hour, an hour and a half, you know, semi-regularly and you'll get their insights into life and you get to share them with some others. And even if it's only five to 10 people who listen, um, like hopefully a lot more, but even if it's only that, those people have connected with you. Um, they know who you are and then you know that they're interested in the types of things that you're interested in so you start to build relationships so the message there is to do things like you are doing and you know re like pushing yourself on being willing to get get outside your comfort zone to to do things that don't seem immediately easy or don't seem immediately like attractive for the sake of bettering yourself because ultimately it is your responsibility to develop yourself and you're the one that makes the decisions every day and if, if you're not voting for yourself every day then you know you're 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 losing you're losing the race so so yeah i think that's a good message to deliver the only other things i guess i'd want to say is that you know if you are interested in in following me you can follow me at like you know skinny guys on instagram you can follow triage method at triage method on instagram facebook our website and you know I, I won't discuss our services too much because you know you can you can find out more about about that um and yeah is there 
anything you'd like to add or ask me before we finish it up? Uh, well, there's a lot of questions. We could literally go on for like uh, six hours, but um, I think I think we'll just continue listening to your podcast, continue listening to your articles or reading your articles. You don't listen to articles. Um, <laughs> that does satisfy my knowledge. But for now, Gary, thank you so much for coming on. It was a super interesting my conversation. Pleasure. And yeah, keep doing what you're doing. My pleasure. Thank you very much. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, it'd be pretty cool if you shared it with your friends or anyone else who you think would benefit from it. You can find all the show notes by going to the website chasingpassion.e. That is chasingpassion.e. Thank you for listening today and I hope you enjoyed the episode.